sometimes where some things just deserve a little bit of space, right? Thanks, guys. That was great. No surprises this week, back in Galatians. So if you've got a Bible, grab it. Uh, turn in it to the book of Galatians that we're at this morning. We're in chapter 2, towards the end of chapter 2. You know, we, we live in a day, and, uh, and it's not like this is new. I'm sure this has been the case for a long time, but we live in a day in which Christianity is seen to be a straitjacket, right? It's one of the things that's it's like a vice, restricts us. It's, it, 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 it's something that kind of takes away from our autonomy. And, and yet, what we've been arguing the last few weeks is that Christianity is actually that which is meant to free us. Free us even from ourselves. But how? How do we gain that? This, the guy who wrote this letter, he's already told us it's not through our ritual observance, it's not through our cultural preferences. How do we get that kind of freedom? I mean, even if you've been a Christian a long time, is that your experience? I hope so, but I wouldn't take it for granted, right? How do we get that kind of freedom? Well, Paul's going to tell us today the kind of the shape that that freedom takes. It's how the, the way in which Jesus sets us free, reconciles us to God, and where that places us. So if you've got your place, go ahead and, and stand up in honor of God's word. We're going to be reading verses 17 down through 21 of chapter 2. And listen, let me, let me um, just say up front, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, you, you may have heard these verses. We were, I was reminded this week in, in our staff meeting, because we go through this, we go through our passage uh, just as a staff, just to um, kind of get some other perspectives on, on different things. And, and I, I was reminded this week about how what we generally do when we come to passages we don't understand, which is we just kind of gloss over it, <laughs> like... Maybe, maybe someday I'll get that. I don't know. I don't get it. I think this is probably one of those passages. And so I would just, um, as, as we're reading it, just remember that God wants to reveal himself. He does not need to be, like he desires to let himself be known. So take comfort in that even when it's hard to understand what's coming is God's word. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live now, in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law. then Christ. Died for nothing. This is God's word given for our flourishing. Please pray with me. What a funny thing it is Lord. To 
be on this side of what's about to happen, to stand here and, and uh, just be utterly dependent on the Spirit of God to work, knowing that my words are so weak. And what a funny thing it is to be sitting where my friends are, on the other side of this, where we're desperately depending on you to open our hearts so that you might reveal yourself to us. We just ask that you do that. So we lift high Jesus this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would draw all to yourself as you promised you would when you were lifted up. And so we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. We ask uh, all these things. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, so let me do a quick review of where we've been. Again, you know, one of the challenges, I think, of, of being a, be, doing what we're, we're doing right now, which is called expository preaching, if you're not familiar with it. It's a, just a big word that means we're going through the passage and kind of through this whole book. Um, one of the challenges is the original people who would have heard this letter would have heard it all at the same time, right? Uh, and then, and so we are coming week after week after week um, to, to hear it, and so it's, sometimes it's hard to remember where we are and what's going on. So this early Christian leader by the name of Paul is writing to churches, we said, are in the southern part of what is now Turkey, and he's writing to them um, because after he moved on, some other guys came in behind him, they challenged both his message, like what he preached, and they challenged him specifically because they were saying he was confused, didn't know what he was really talking about. He's, you know, a good heart and all, but doesn't really know. So Paul begins by saying that any change to the gospel he preached, in other words, the good news, the central message of Christianity that he preached, any change to it actually nullifies it, takes it away. There's no, like, you just, well, you got a little wrong, let's add to it a little here. No, no, no. If you change it, it nullifies it. You might as well just get rid of it, he says. Turns it into no gospel. And then he, he tells a little of his own story, how he, he was not a Christian. He didn't, like, he, he wasn't one of Jesus' first followers. In fact, that he was a violent, uh, racist uh, persecutor of the church. Hated Gentiles. You know, thought that he was doing the right thing until Jesus revealed himself to Paul and Paul went from zealous persecutor to zealous missionary, all because he encountered the risen Jesus. And so then in chapter 2, he shows us that his gospel is actually consistent with the other apostles, those other early Christian leaders that were restored to God through Jesus plus nothing. You remember that? We don't add to it our own performance to make God like us. We call that legalism. Okay? Uh, nor do we kind of add to it our cultural preferences didn't really have a name for that. I guess you could call it culturism. Like we, we don't add that kind of stuff. But, but what do we do then with the law of God? It's not like we, listen, this is, if, if you're new to UPC, we are part of um, a tradition called the Reformed Evangelical Tradition, the Reformed Tradition, uh, where we actually think the Old Testament is a big deal. Right? It's a big deal. We don't just kind of ta- toss it aside. We, don't think that we need to unhitch ourselves from it. We think it's a big deal. But what do we, what do, we do with it then? Like, what do we, I don't know if you've noticed when you've read the Old Testament. There's a lot of like, rules in there. So what do we do with that? If it isn't our keeping of God's rules that makes us like him, 
aren't we just kind of sidestepping the whole thing? Like I have a detour around it? Paul says no. And our freedom actually is cross-shaped, that it actually goes right through it. So as always, if, you, if you're a note taker, there's an outline there. It might help you follow along. Um, we're going to start out this morning by lo- locating our rightness. So, so look down at verse 17, if you've got your Bible open. Verse 17. So first off, the first thing we need to get is that this is a continuation of the discussion that Paul has been having with Peter. Okay. Now, two weeks ago was when we started that whole process where Paul confronts Peter, gets in his grill, and says, hey, you've been wrong about this. And it was something strong enough that it felt like he needed a, a public confrontation. I want you to imagine how awkward that would be. That would be like I'm standing here and Steve gets up in the middle of my talk and is like, oh, wait a minute. Rick, you are wrong. And we'd all be like, oh, what just happened? Like, awkward, right? So, but Paul thinks that what he is wrong about is so important that it's actually leading all of these other Christians astray and it is destroying the foundation of what he had worked for, what everyone had believed. And at the end of that section in verses 15 and 16, Paul establishes these two groups, right? We have the Jews under the law. He says, Peter, listen, they're not like us. I get it. We were Jews under the law and not, and here's the second group, Gentile sinners, okay? Feeding into that kind of cultural understanding. You have, you have the Jews who've got, who've got the right rules, the, they've got the right practices, and then there's like these other people, right? There's these other people, these two categories. But then he says that no one will be justified, which is churchy word for meaning being right before God. No one will be right before God through the law. In other words, he's just said that the Jews may be under God's law, but it can't make them right. Everyone's in the same boat. Whether you've been going to church your whole life, or this is the first time you've ever been in one. We're all in the same boat. Maybe you've been working hard trying to keep the Big Ten, those Ten Commandments, or maybe you can't even name them. Same boat. You with me? Okay, so Paul continues. Let's dig dig into it. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we are found to be sinners, is then Christ a servant of sin? Okay. Now, when I first read this, I'll be honest with you, I thought that what Paul was dealing with had to do with the fact that after we become Christians, we still sin, which we do a lot, right? I know we pretend we don't. That's what we dealt with in the past. Okay, it's a lie. Let's just all get that on the table. That, and and that's, that would be a good thing for him to deal with, but that's not what he's dealing with. Remember, I, I, we, we said he set up categories. Jews under the law. Gentile sinners. And so he's asking the question. It's a rhetorical question. And Paul does this all the time. Paul seems to anticipate questions that are going to be asked. He's like, some, some, some of you may say, some may be thinking, you know, here, here's what this is. And so Paul is asking the question he's anticipating. So if I can't be justified by keeping the law, does that make me a Gentile sinner? And then Jesus is basically against keeping God's law. He's just basically against it. You see how that works? What he's saying is, if, if I'm seeking to be justified, to be right with God apart from the law, does that make me then part of this category of Gentile sinners? And is, is Jesus then not about all that stuff? 
Maybe we do unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament then. Is that what that means? And Paul says, no, not at all. That's not what it means. And so this may sound strange to us, but I think we think this too, right? Most of us, if we're being honest, whether you're a Christian or not in this room, not everybody is. If we're being honest, most of us walk around with this kind of consistent sense that something isn't right. Some of us, that's bound up in a sense of guilt, right? We have a, we have a strong conscience, and we know we, we haven't really done well with it. We constantly kind of feel guilty, right? Or, or, or we, at least we, we kind of wonder to ourselves, you know, like I, I, I've known folks who, um, gosh, I hope, well, I'm not going to name her, but, but uh, there's a friend of mine who um, back in the day, like, conscience was so overactive that, like, if her dog got out, she was afraid she was going to be arrested, that someone was going to come get her. And, and we can laugh about that, but at the same time, there, there is that sense, like maybe I'm guilty, but that's not all of us. Some, for, for others of us, there's this sense, like, I feel like I'm in bondage, like I can't get away from this thing. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's something that is not good, and we all know that it's not good, and so it's hidden in your life, and it's a bondage that we would call something maybe like an addiction or just... Maybe you don't want to use that word. Maybe it's just a really bad habit, right? And you, you feel like you're enslaved to it. Or maybe it's something really good. Maybe it's like constantly trying to get people's approval. And I, can't, I just feel enslaved. Like I can't just say no to that. I can't just walk away from it. But still others of us, that's, that's, some of us don't feel that way either. We don't feel enslaved. We don't feel in bondage. But we do feel alienated. Like we're always on the outside of the group looking in to try and figure out what's going on. There's always this circle, this inner circle, we call it, and we can never really break into it. Wanting to be noticed, wanted, wanting to be part of the group. We'll get to why that is in a minute, but all of us seem hardwired to think that if those things are going to change, it's going to be because we work hard to fix it, right? If I'm, going to be, if I'm not going to feel guilty, then what that means is I need to follow the rules and I need to do it really, really well. And some of you are really good at that. And so that's what we think. If I'm in bondage, what I need to do is I need to work really hard to either, to either get what I'm looking for out of, out of uh, you know, like Ken was saying earlier, like out of my money. I'll get what I'm looking for. I'll get that safety, security, or, or I'll work really hard to just put that stuff aside. If we feel alienated, we think that our efforts are going to make us needed and endear us to others. In any case, what we are trying to do is to answer that sense of something not being right. Our rightness. And we're trying to do it with just as much effort as we can get. And it makes sense. Listen, of course it makes sense. I'm not hating on anybody. I do it too. If anyone could have claimed that they had God's method for dealing with that nagging sense that something is wrong. It would be the family of Abraham, though, right? I mean, they had God's law. They had the very things God said reflected his character, showed what is right and good. They had it. If you're seeking to be made right through Jesus and not through that law, does that mean that Jesus is against that law. Is he against those rules? That's the question, you see. And it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a question that we can easily dismiss. It's a question that's still being asked today by those in the church and those outside of the church. 
Paul says, listen, guys, you don't understand what it's actually for. Look down at verse 18. Paul says, for, if I build up that which I tore down, I prove myself a lawbreaker. Okay, now this is a little dense. Okay, so follow me. Paul's saying, if I've abandoned my efforts, abandoned them, to build a right standing before God on my own, and then I try and do it again, right, try and, try and do it again. If I, if I stop trying to use the law to show how good I am, and then all of a sudden I, I start doing it again, all that it's going to show me is that I can't do it. You see that? Like, if I, if, if I tear down, or I try and rebuild what I've already torn down, what did I try and tear down? The fact that I can do anything of, of this on my own. If I try and rebuild it again, all it's going to do is show that I'm a lawbreaker. All it's going to do saying if you try and keep the law, all you are going to do is show that you can't. And I know, as soon as I say that, I know some of us get, like that heat starts rising in our chest. We're like, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you talking about? It's pretty offensive. Paul's basically saying that you can't be good enough. And we don't want to believe this because we want to play the comparison game, right? What we like to do, and listen, let's, let's, this is just us. What we like to do, we don't have to pretend, it's just us, nobody else knows. What we like to do is we like to line everybody up on a scale, right, on a spectrum. And, and there's a line on that spectrum, and that line is like, God's not really happy, right? There's that line. And if God's happy over here with this spectrum of people, and, and after this line, he's not happy, we always want to place ourselves just on the happy side, Right? And the way we do that is we then point to the people on, that we think are on the other side. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm no Hitler. Now, he's way down here, right? Maybe it's not just Hitler. Maybe it's, you know, you, you name it. You know, I mean, I've got problems. But I don't have Brad's problems. You know? I mean, I'm doing all right. I'm so-and-so, you know, I'm not doing great with these things, but at least I don't do this. You see how that works? We always place ourselves just on the side of being okay. And that's how we list, am I good enough? I call it the, the God is a bear syndrome. Because you know, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the guy next to you. And isn't that what we think? That God is going to get me if I'm not good enough. But the good news is, I can trip somebody else up. And he'll devour that guy and not me. And so, you know, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, Rick. I'm not perfect. But, I mean, he should be happy with what I can give. I'm pretty good. And I know you are. Because listen, you don't have to argue with me. I'm, I'm sure you're a better person than me. I'm a train wreck. I, I'm sure you're a better person than me. But it's not me you have to argue with. It's Jesus. Because he's the dude who took the Ten Commandments and fully explained them. He said, yeah, 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 adultery. We all know that's bad. But you know that if you look with lust at a woman, or a man, by the way, he's talking to guys, so he just you know, said it that way. But if, if you look with lust at another person, 
you realize you, you're basically breaking that too, right? That's, that's adultery. Like, what? And yeah, I get it. Don't murder. We all got, you know, we're like, yes. See, that proves it. I can keep them. I didn't kill my kids this morning on the way out. I'm good. And he says, you know, name calling will get you thrown into hell too. What? What are you, come on, Jesus. You don't, you don't have to take this so seriously, man. I mean, come on. This is Paul's point. If you want to get under the law, if you want to try and earn your rightness before God, you can't play pixie choosies with it. It's not just like, I, I, I'm pretty sure God only cares about the ones that I care about. Which is always the case, right? Now you got to keep all of it. And when you try, guess what? It's going to show you that you can't. The reason is because our problem, my problem, your problem, is not, listen close, it's not that we're not good enough. That's not our problem. That's a symptom of the problem. The problem isn't that we're not good enough, because you see, God created us in his image to be like him, to be, to be in a dependent relationship with him. And I'm going to use that word, you're going to hear me use that word and that phrase a lot. Dependent, dependent, dependent. Because that is what we were created to be. Dependent on him, reflecting out from him his good, wise, loving character and rule over all things. That's what we were made for. To depend on him for our view of reality, what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false. To depend on him for our life, breath, and everything that goes with it. To depend on him for our status. Who are you? What's your identity? Depend on him for our Safety, what, what keeps me okay? To depend on him for our satisfaction, what is going to fill that thing in here that is like a ravenous beast? Depend on him for all of it. The problem is, is that we got convinced of a lie, that he is actually not trustworthy to fulfill those things. And so instead of looking to him, we began to think that not only could we, but we had to be independent from him. Independent because... He's not really out for our good. He's trying to hold us back. He's just using us. So we had to take things into our own hands. And so we betrayed him. We turned from him. We found our own way, our own path. And when we did that, that had devastating consequences. First and foremost, it brought guilt. And I know that's hard for many of us because we don't understand uh, this whole guilt thing, especially in regards to God. But you know what it's like when you betray someone or you've been betrayed. Something happens, right? There's something that has to be answered for. That betrayal, like any other betrayal, brought guilt. But this time, the one that we betrayed was the omnipotent creator of the universe. And bearing the weight of our guilt is what the Bible calls hell. But not only did we become guilty, we also became broken, which is to say, we be, we, you never have to teach anyone. You don't have to teach a single person that they can and should be independent of God. That's what that means. That all of us by nature are kind of, we live by the lie. We just live by it. We all live by it. It's just inherent in us. 
I can and I must be independent from God. I, I can get a status on my own and I have to because no one else will give it to me. I can get satisfied with just enough of that thing. And in fact, I have to because if not, I'll never be satisfied. I can keep myself safe with enough money, enough nutrition, enough whatever, enough control. I can keep myself safe. And in fact, I have to because... If not, I'll be destroyed. It's inherent. You don't even have to teach it. Our hearts are set on independence from God. See, the problem is our hearts. It's not just our actions. It's the reason we do them. So that even if, even if you could keep the law perfectly apart from God, it would still just make the problem worse. Because you're just being independent in your law-keeping What the law tends to do is shine a big spotlight on that fact. It's one of the reasons God gave it, to show that our need was not for rules but for a rescuer. Okay? All right. Now, let's reorient our way by seeing a new location. Look down at verse 19. Paul says, for, this is a great one, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Okay. There's a, that's confusing. Let's, let's dig in. What does it mean to die to the law through the law? To get this, we, we have to know what it means to betray God, okay? You see, God told humanity from the beginning, if we betrayed him, the penalty for that was death. Certainly meant physical death, but in, in, in addition to that, right, physical death is the, the unnatural, unnatural rending of body and soul, right? We're one, body and soul. And death, what death does is it goes tears them apart. It wasn't supposed to be that way. And death is an, an unnatural invader into our reality. But not just physical death, also an existence where we're bearing our guilt, bearing judgment. Right? Paul says in another one of his books, um, the letter to the Romans, he says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we earn from breaking God's law is death. So what Paul is saying here is that through the law and what it leads to, death, he died to the law so that he might live for God. Basically, he's saying that he has, he has undergone the penalty for breaking the law. His guilt has been dealt with. That's weird because he's writing a letter, right? Through the law, I died to it. How? You see, I have been crucified with Christ. This is what he says. Paul is saying, Jesus doesn't get you around the law. Jesus takes you through the middle of it. He takes you right through the middle of it. If betraying God brings judgment, and every one of us has betrayed God, then if we're going to be right with God, someone needs to bear our judgment. The law shows we need a rescuer, and Jesus is the rescuer. We can't keep the law, but he can. He's God incarnate, but he also bore the penalty for our guilt. On the cross, Jesus didn't just die. I mean, that would be bad, but he didn't just die. He bore the judgment of God for sin so that when we place our faith in Christ, when we turn from our methods of trying to make ourselves right, whether that is, whether that is um, through a status or through safety or through satisfaction, we, we turn from that and we put our faith in him, we are united to him. 
His death for sin becomes our death for sin. His spotless life becomes ours. So Paul can say, I have died to the law because I have been crucified with Christ. And now I'm free because of Christ to live for God, right? The, the location for our rightness before God isn't us at all. The location of your rightness before God isn't you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He is the location of it. And this might be the most important point of this. Do you realize that apart from Jesus, you can't live for God? You can't live for God if you still think you have to live for yourself. If you still have to get something for yourself, if you still have to uh, work hard enough to get something from God, there's no way you can ever live for him. Because you'll always be stuck living for you. You'll always be trying to get a status. You'll always trying to be getting satisfaction. You'll always be trying to get safety. But if in Jesus you've been given those things, you can live for God because there's nothing else you need to get. And that brings us to like my favorite verse in Scripture. We've seen the new location. Now let's get the direction. Look at verses 20 and 21. Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I do live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So then, okay, so if that's true, Paul, then what? Well, that's what he's trying to answer here. Paul says, I no longer live. What he means by that is not that he's dead, obviously. He wrote a letter. What he's saying is, I'm no longer the captain of my soul. I'm no longer the one that's in charge. I'm no longer the one who gets to declare uh, my, my preferences on things as being the right way. Everything in us wants independence, but that is not what we were made for. And Paul says, that me, that me, is dead. That me is dead, and now it's Jesus living through me. And what he's talking about is he's coming back to this idea that we've been talking about for the last few weeks of union with Jesus, union with Christ, okay? Like I said, the New Testament teaches us when we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit unites us to him in a real way. I don't can I explain it fully? No. But it's, but it's a real way that when we, we place our faith in him, the spirit of Jesus comes, dwells in us, and begins conforming us to his image, making us like him. And Paul is saying, I'm not the Lord of my life anymore. Jesus is. In the life I do live, I live by the faithfulness of of another. Now remember, uh, maybe you were here, maybe you won't. If you weren't, I'd say go back and read it. But a couple of weeks ago, um, there are, we, we talked about this phrase, right? That there were a couple of different ways to take this phrase. Most of your translations will say, I live by faith in Jesus or in Christ. And I just said by the faithfulness of him. So in the original, which is not the King James, sorry, it's not. It's it, the original. The New Testament was written in Greek originally. This phrase can mean faith in, in Jesus or the faithfulness of Jesus. I think in this case it means the faithfulness of Jesus because Paul is saying, it isn't my faithfulness that gets me anything, it's his. It's not my faithfulness. It's not, it's not my law keeping that gets me anything, it's his. It's his faithfulness, his law keeping, his righteousness, his rightness 
that gives me everything. And I know this is hard because we all want the Christian life to be this triumphant, I have arrived moment, don't we? We want it to be that way. Many of us have grown up, if you've been a Christian a long time, you have bought into the lie that the whole point of your Christian life is to need God less and less. That the whole point is I need grace less than I did before because he's, look how he's growing me in Christ's image. You don't understand. If you're growing in Christ's image, that makes you more dependent. What do you think he was? He was more dependent. That in fact, we're supposed, we're like, ah, you know, I can't wait till I'm not this needy. I mean, yes, there will be a day, I suppose, where you could say I'm not needy in the same way. But you're a dependent creature. You need breath, right? You need air. You need, you're needy. That's not going to change. Your attitude about it may, but your neediness won't. I stand up here and I preach the gospel to you while having to believe it is true for me, whether, whether, um, whether you think what I said is art or garbage, whether you think I'm pretty cool or think that I'm the worst thing that's ever happened to UPC. And I have to believe that, that's, that my rightness is not in what you think. You know how hard that is? It's not easy. We all struggle with that, right? I constantly have to fight against the notion that God is pleased with me only when I do well. That is why this is my favorite passage in the Bible because I and I do, need to repeat it to myself every day. Paul says, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that order is so important. And some of us here in this room, even this morning, you need to listen close because that order is something that your soul has been starving for. Jesus did not give himself for you so that he could love you. Let me say it again. Jesus did not give himself for you because God did not love you. Jesus gave himself for you because he already loved you. I don't care what you did. I don't care whether your sin looks really clean on the outside or your life is a train wreck. You are no different than I am. There is nothing wrong with you that's not wrong with me. Jesus came to live for you, die for you, and to rise again for you because he loves you. And we live, we base our lives on the faithfulness of Jesus because he loves us and died for us. He knew our need and he knowingly and willingly met it. God knows what he bought. And he does not have buyer's remorse, ever. All right. Let me try and apply this a little more closely, if I can, first by speaking to the shape of redemption. Listen, as Christians, we believe that our redemption, our reconciliation with God, our, our being right with him, okay, whatever you want to call it, that all of these things are inextricably tied to the cross of Jesus. Okay, so follow me if you can, because I know that we can struggle with this as a culture. 
first and foremost, we struggle with the idea, here's the question, and maybe you're thinking, why can't God just forgive? Why all this bloody nonsense? Why, why can't he just forgive? Isn't that his job? Right? We think this because we forget what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not pretending that such and such an offense didn't happen. That is lying. It's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is when you bear the cost of it instead of the one who betrayed you. In other words, if Jack steals some money from me, I'm sure he'd never do that. But let's say Jack did. Let's say just, you know, my wallet was on the piano bench or something. He's like, oh, look, not much in there, but let's say he took it, whatever it was. If Jack steals that money and I forgive him, I'm out of the money. If I get it back from him, then I've taken what I wanted back from him, right? He steals 20 bucks and I get my 20 bucks back from, from, from Jack, then, then I've gotten my justice. I've gotten my 20 bucks back. If I don't, if I say, Jack, it's all right. Listen, I forgive you. I'm still out 20 bucks. It cost me something, didn't it? Cost me 20 bucks. When we betrayed God, the cost was judgment. And so for us to be forgiven, that will mean God himself has to bear the cost. And that's what's happening on the cross. So I know some of us took college Bible classes and all this stuff, and you know, we, we've learned, learned things a little weird uh, in different ways. The cross is not, Jesus, is not God finding some rando to like, suffer in the place of other people. It's not like I just found this random guy. He's a good guy, but I, I punished him in the in place of other people. It's God being punished in the place of other people. God the Son, yes, but God, not the less angry God, the same God you offended. <laughs> Jesus isn't the nice God who gets the other God happy with you. He's the same God you offended. And God the Son bears judgment. The offense didn't go away. It's either, it's either got to be borne by us, in which case it's called justice, or it's borne by him, and we call it forgiveness. But someone has to bear it. Someone has to carry it. And so here's the implication that I want to make clear. It's either one or the other. There's no other way to be reconciled to God. No other way to, be, to return to dependence on him. This is what Paul is getting at in verse 21. If righteousness, if rightness, if being in, being in the right with God again, if that could be attained by the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, if Jesus is not the only way, he cannot be a way. You with me? If he's not the only way, then he can't be a way. If if, if you can get right with God by keeping the rules right, then what was he doing? He, it's either he is it or it's a tragedy. It's either he is the way to return to God or he's another example of Roman cruelty to an oppressed people. Those are your options. If he is not the only way, he cannot be a way. Our redemption is inextricably cross-shaped. Inextricably. Lastly, let me speak to the way, the shape of love. <clears throat> because for many of us, what I just said says something about God we don't like. Because we, 
We want a God of love, don't we? Not this violent God who's upset. And by love, what we often imagine is our version of Santa Claus, right? Who always threatens coal but never really gives it. Right? Some of you are chuckling. Some of you aren't. Maybe I was wrong in that and you got coal. I don't know. My guess is no. That's what we want. We want someone who pretty much gives us what we want no matter what, is pudgy, cuddly, and tame. Look at me. That is not love. Because that cost him nothing. Nothing. Listen, I have a wife and four kids. You know that. If I want to love them, it's going to cost me. And I don't just mean money, though it does that. It's going to cost me my time. It's going to cost me my freedom. It's going to cost me my ambition. At times, it's going to cost me my pride. It will cost me because they will hurt me and I will have to stay in relationship with them because I'm committed. And I will have to sacrifice myself for their good regardless. Love costs because it seeks the good of the other without regard to the self. If you want a God of love, then look no further than the cross. Paul says it. He says, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus giving himself up in death flowed from his love for those who would be his. Flowed from his love. The cross is where God's love and justice meet. You and I really have betrayed him. It is a real thing. It's not just this figment or this control apparatus to keep you in line. It is a real thing. We know we've done it. But out of love, he was willing to bear what we should have so that he could be reconciled with us. Love costs. And to love us, it cost God everything. It cost him everything. You want to know how much God loves you? Look to the cross. I know what we want to do is look to our circumstances. I know we do. I know it. Because I do too. Look to the cross. I don't know what you've done, and I don't care. If you didn't do something that needed Jesus to die, he wouldn't have. Okay? He loves you, and he was willing to bear the judgment that you and I deserve so that we could be reconciled with him. Man, and if you're struggling this morning to believe that that's true, can I tell you, you should really want to believe that that's true. If you're not believing it, just isn't that the kind of God you would want to follow? Placing our faith in Jesus, it joins us to him so that our sin is dealt with, our place before God secured by his perfect life. We didn't earn it. It's purely out of his unmerited favor. <laughs> and it was all done because of his love for those that would be his. Would you pray with me? Jesus, let the gospel be true for us today. If we've never believed it, let it be true this morning. 
If we have believed it, let it be true again for us this morning because we need it. We need all the time to return with the grace that's ours in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us and dying for those who are your children. Form us into a church that believes that and can live into that kind of freedom fully. We ask in Christ's name, amen. <laughs>